The, uh, the state of Colorado was in the news this week for some uh, laws that were passed, some rulings they made. One that you're probably very familiar with that affects our political situation. But there's another one that you may not have heard about. Um, the, the state of Colorado voted to reintroduce gray wolves back into the ecosystem of West Colorado. This is a very controversial ecological uh, method. Uh, lots of disagreement whether this is effective or not, but it's a, it's a powerful illustration for what I want to share with this morning because what they, what they believe, what some of the scientists believe, the same thing happened in Yellowstone in 1995 was the ecosystem in West Colorado and in Yellowstone was becoming overgrown with much grass and uh, elk and deer, and the trophic cascade, which is the food chain, was becoming out of balance, and therefore the whole ecosystem was suffering. So the, the, the scientists posit that if they were to introduce an apex predator back into the ecosystem, it would help bring balance and health to the overall ecosystem. But that apex predator is going to bring some disruption and some destruction. That peace is going to be highly disruptive because the wolves are going to eat some of the other animals. Now, it's fascinating, fascinating to read about, think about, even to study. But as we think about our passage this morning, think about this. The king, God himself, made a world that was free from sin Free from death and pain and destruction, free from manipulation and harm and sadness. It was a kingdom full of righteousness, justice, love, beauty, abundance, and order. But then sin came and wreaked havoc on God's creation and caused there to be an unbelievable amount of overgrowth and overpopulation of certain organisms. In fact, we sang about this in Joy to the World. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And that passage in Luke 2 is the king of kings reintroducing a wolf into his ecosystem so that there would be peace on earth, goodwill to men. What kind of peace is this? Well, it's highly disruptive. It's a highly disruptive peace, as it should be. Jesus is the wolf that was reintroduced in the ecosystem of the world in order to bring it back to the righteous beauty that God intended. What does this mean for us? Well, if you're experiencing disappointments and disruptions, disillusionment, that can only mean the Prince of Peace is trying to alert you that you're not meant for, to trust anything in this world, but to give yourselves wholeheartedly to the kingdom of God that will have no end. The last four weeks, we've done a communicants class for children that are wanting to profess their faith. And uh, the last week, we, we, did, we did creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Uh, the, the new heaven, the new earth. And I asked Luke to come. Uh, he loves talking about this, so I asked Luke to come and do one on the new heavens and new earth for these children. And he brought a bag of French fries from McDonald's with me. Fresh, hot, made McDonald's French fries. Just the smell of them alone is incredible. And he took one French fry, and he gave it to each kid. And 18 French fries, and he said to them as he handed them one fry, little taste of heaven, little taste of heaven. And as you can imagine, those children were like, I don't want one French fry, I want the whole bag. 
And his point was, this is emblematic of the human heart. Once we taste something of heaven, it causes us to long for it in its fullness. But we're dissatisfied with just one French fry. And if you just think one French fry is going to do it, you haven't had a whole extra large, upsized fry of McDonald's. And Luke read this quote that goes along with that from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, a baby gets hungry. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duck wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, that most probable answer is that I was made for another world. You were made for a different If you find yourself not experiencing the peace you long for, perhaps the disruptions in your life are pointing you to an ultimate peace that is available to you. The angels have good news. I have good news. The Prince of Peace has come. The angels proclaim the cold. I bring you good news of great joy. A Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. But as I thought about that dynamic of how we approach peace, it led me to another CS quote that you maybe are familiar with, and I'll read it because it goes like this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see, not only do we long for peace, but we find it, we often try to find it in places that we shouldn't find it. We're looking for peace in all the wrong places. We long for this, but God brings the disruptions to remind us that there's a peace that Jesus himself can give. The prince himself brings. That's what I had. I had that sort of depressing passage from Jeremiah read because what the, what the prophet was saying is my people weren't being healed. The, those, that, those that propagated healing and rejuvenation for the people were saying peace, peace, when there was no peace. And later on, the prophet would say peace would come through the Messiah. Yesterday, I was sitting around with my, my adult children, and um, my son-in-law was there. And, and one of the things I like to do on weeks that I'm preaching is I like to ask my kids, uh, hey, this is what I'm preaching on. Uh, what do you think? What comes to your mind? So I said, I'm preaching on Prince of Priests tomorrow. What do you guys think? And my son-in-law, the great theologian that he is, says, well, you know, it sounds like a contradiction. Because when I think about a prince showing up, I think about disruption. I think about uh, war and militia and a prince coming to exercise his rule. But it says that Jesus is a prince of peace. And I didn't tell him what I was preaching. I said, John, that's exactly what I see in in the scriptures. It's when the prince of heaven, who's full of justice and righteousness and mercy and love and beauty, shows up to a world that's wreaked havoc with sin, it's going to be highly disruptive. The peace that Jesus brings is a disruptive peace. Think about the things that transpired at his birth, with his life, with his death. Much of it doesn't seem peaceful, but make no mistake about it. The prince has invaded earth to disrupt the current ecosystem to bring it back to healthy, righteous, and justice, a beautiful kingdom that he created. All right, so let's consider this for a minute. Let's consider the disruptive nature of his birth. Jesus was born to a 14-year-old teenager named Mary. <laughs> she laughed. Yeah, it is kind of comical, isn't it? 
Think about how disruptive that would be to her life. Her husband, well, her betrothed was Joseph. And he was supposed to raise this child. How disruptive would that have been? The shepherds, the scriptures tell us, were uh, tending their flocks, abiding in the field at night, watching their sheep. And then all of a sudden, the heavens illuminated with angels announcing the birth of a savior. Their life was totally disrupted. The cosmos itself was disrupted. Uh, Men from the east, wise men who were astrologers studying the stars, noticed at the time a star appeared in the heavens that they knew was something different, something new, something that should alert us to think about something real. And they went on a two-year journey from their home to Bethlehem to find out what that star was about. The leader of the region there of Israel was King Herod. He was so petrified by this prince of peace baby, he had all two-year-olds in that region slaughtered. That didn't sound like peace. Bethlehem, the place where Jesus was born, was under Roman control. We all are familiar with Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But it wasn't, no, it wasn't real peace. One historian said this, Rome and, its Caesars, Rome and its Caesars had bludgeoned every foe into submission. There was, quote, peace, but it was a dark peace. And no man or woman or boy or girl could say a word against it without fearfully looking over his or her shoulder. This was the peaceful night and times that the Prince of Peace was born into. Occupied land. Oppressive government, oppressive sin, people groping in darkness, yet a light shone that evening. It was the Prince of Peace. His birth was highly disruptive. But then this child grew, and his life became very disruptive. In fact, he said to his disciples, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. What? I came to make the enemies their own household. I came to make clear what real peace was. He even confronted the religious leaders of that day. The religious leaders of that day told people, if you just followed these rules and did these things this way, you would have peace. And he confronted the religious leaders about that oppression. He confronted the the Roman government officials about their oppression. He even confronted the demonic forces in the heavenly realms and cast out demons. And he even had confrontation with human cells. And he told the lame to walk and the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dead to rise. Friends, this Prince of Peace was highly disruptive to our system. Jesus showed us what a righteous wolf would do in an unrighteous system. And he was so disruptive They killed him. His birth was disruptive. His life was disruptive. His death was also disruptive. On the night, the morning that Jesus died, the scriptures tell us the sky went black and the earth shook. Its maker was on a cross. And then the scriptures tell us that the veil that guarded the holy place of God where his presence dwelt in the ark 
that divided the temple from you and I. We could not access the Holy of Holies. That veil was torn in two because now the, the Prince of Peace had given us peace with God. The judgment of God was accomplished. And then, three days later, this Prince of Peace disrupted death itself. And he rose from the dead. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, all were a disruptive expression that peace on earth, goodwill to men, is actually true. So friend, the disruptions that you're experiencing of health, the disruptions of children, the disruptions of relationships, the disruptions of money, the disruptions of career, they're all meant to point you to not trust in any earthly solution, but to trust the Prince of Peace. One of our elders posted this quote this week from Dr. David Owen Filson. Make no mistake, that cute little baby in the manger scene reigns forever. Eternal king. A fierce little one was laid in the manger that night. So let us in awestruck silence marvel at the helpless babe who, as it were, clung to his mother Mary with one hand and with the other hand had Satan by the throat. He's a prince of peace. Highly disruptive. But that disruption is to lead us to eternal peace. Let me give you two applications, and then I will, we'll come to the table. There's a, there's a macro scope to this piece, and then there's a micro scope. Here's what I mean by the macro. And the best way to illustrate this is just with the angels. So the, the angels were the ones who came and announced the birth of the Prince of Peace. Now, if your perception of angels is a fat, chubby, white kid with a diaper and a, a, a harp, we're probably going to miss the point. Because the, every time an angel in the scripture shows up, what's the phrase they say to them? Fear not. So if a fat, chubby, white kid in a diaper comes in, we're probably not going to be afraid. But that's not the case with heavenly angels. They're actually called warrior messengers. And every time they appear on earth, they have to tell people, don't be afraid. And here these angels, these warrior messengers, are announcing their commander-in-chief is in a manger. This is a cosmic peace. Heaven and earth are going to be at rest. God is going to be at peace with man. His creation is going to be restored to its rightful righteousness and justice. That's the macro part. A few weeks ago, one of our church members, Ram, um, Rand Marshall was uh, tragically died of a heart attack and went to his funeral and it was a great, great celebration of his life. And, uh, one of the stories they told was he used to, before he would leave time with his grandsons, he would sit them down and look them in the eye and say, all right, boys, what are we working towards? And they would say, world peace, grandpa. That's like, that's right. That's what we're working towards, world peace. We're gonna, we're gonna do everything we can to bring this prince of peace rule to the earth. One of my favorite rock bands is the rock band Rush, and they have a song called Subdivisions. And one of the lines says this, the suburbs have no charms to soothe the restless dreams of youth. 
what they're they're saying is there's a restlessness amongst the youth and the cookie cutter, white picket fence, 2.5 kids, a golden doodle, and a, a retirement account aren't satisfying the restlessness of people. So friends, the macro effect of this world piece is don't be lulled to sleep by the politicians who claim to bring peace, by the home builders who say they'll build your dream home that will bring you peace, by the financial advisors whom I love all of them, but don't be snowed if they claim to bring you peace because of financial solvency. The religious leaders, I'm one, who claim if you just did this, that, and the other, you'd have peace. Friend, don't be lulled to sleep. Peace is not on earth for you to have. Peace comes from the Prince of Peace, and he brings it to you. In fact, this has always been the case. The preamble to the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments tell us how we should live. But the preamble to it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Ten Commandments were given to free people. They were already at peace. This is how you should then live. So this Christmas, what if you and your family ask, what injustice, what brokenness, what darkness could the Prince of Peace be asking us to move toward? That'd be a great question to talk about. But as always with these macro things, it starts at a micro level. In fact, Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Start small. And so there's a macro, a micro component to peace, and that's you. What is God wanting to bring peace to in your heart, in your life? I've probably, you've probably heard me tell this story before, but it fits really good here. So forgive me if you've heard this before, but when I was 12, my sister was 10, we were in a car and we parked and I was going to go out this door and I thought she was going to go out that door. So I just got out of the car and I just shut the door behind me and her hand was in the door jam pulling herself out. So the door shut on her hand. I can see the cringes on your face. It gets worse. It shut in such a way that the lock was engaged, but we couldn't open the handle or unlock the door. And the only way to get everything mechanically engaged back so we could open the door was to push the door shut. Yeah, now you're really cringing. And so we had to crush her hand to get her out. Thankfully, it didn't crush her hand. But I thought about this a lot in so many different ways. What if we said to my sister, Pam, I know it really stinks that your hand is caught in that door, but you can be at peace with this situation. You can get married back there. Uh, we can bring you dinner from, you know, HelloFresh, and uh, you, you can have kids in the back seat. We can bring you a portable TV with a satellite dish, and you can have a nice, peaceful life in the back seat of that car. You'd go, that's ridiculous. Just cause a little more disruption, shut the door fully, and she'll be free. And in fact, that's what we did. And thank God it didn't break her hand. It just scarred it a little bit. And my sister now sells real estate in Wilmington, North Carolina, has three wonderful girls, has a great marriage, has a boat. She's not in the backseat of a car. But I think about our situation. Aren't we, aren't we like that? I'm kind of stuck. And I think peace is me just trying to do the best I can with my little world. Kind of like C.S. Lewis said, I'm kind of content making mud pies right here in the backseat of this car when a holiday vacation is up. If I'll just listen to the disruptions that God might be bringing my way, those disruptions might be sin that I need to deal with, relationships that I need to heal, righteousness that I need to pursue, justice that I need to go after. There could be a thousand different ways that God is disrupting you to say, hey, there's more to this life that I have for you. 
Would you dare pray this Christmas, Prince of Peace, come. Bring me real peace. Bring me real peace. So what sin, what relationship, what decision, what sacrifice is the Prince of Peace moving you toward this year? In the front of your bulletin, there's that, the lyric to that song. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Stephen played it at the beginning. We're going to play it during communion. But there's a story behind this, this great carol, Christmas carol. You may, you may, you may have heard it, you may not. It's written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And if you've ever seen a picture of, of Henry, Henry Longfellow, his beard is excessively long and full and unkept. That's because he made a vow the night after his wife was set on fire by a candle in their house and she burned to death in his arms. He vowed to never shave his beard. And they had several children and as time went on, the Civil War was raging, the, the horrific nature of slavery was burning and Henry Longfellow was burdened by slavery and the injustice going on the world and his son decided, son Charlie decided to enlist in the Union Army to fight in the Civil War and his son went to battle and was shot in the back And in his grief, Henry Longfellow penned these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. Wild and sweet, their words repeat, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song. of Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Knowing that man's story and reading that words changes it a bit, doesn't it? He didn't have a whole lot of peace. His wife was dead. His son was shot. Slavery was rampant in our nation. But he knew there's a peace that passes all understanding. It comes in the prince of peace. You know the story of Jesus. That baby in the manger who was the Prince of Peace became the Lord of glory at his, res- at his resurrection. And God highly exalted him above every name. After his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples. And he shows up in the, in the room where they're gathered. He's getting ready to ascend back to heaven. He's getting ready to give them the great commission. And 11 of those 12 disciples would lay down their life for this Prince of Peace. And he shows up and his resurrected body, and the scriptures in Luke 24 say they were terrified. Can you imagine? This babe in a manger, they saw die on a cross, now is standing before them as the resurrected Lord. And he says to them, peace to you. And they're like, really? This is bizarre, Jesus. This is highly disruptive. And he says, I know, touch my wounds. Buy you these wounds you have peace. Touch the side. And then he says something that is almost comical. He says, you guys got anything to eat? <laughs> and it's comical for two, two reasons. One, it's one of the best resurrection apologetics. This was not a ghost. This was not a spirit. This was not an ideology. This was a man standing in front of them who was going to consume fish from the sea of Galilee that his buddy Peter had just caught. And he wanted to show them the bodily resurrection of believers is real. So he ate fish. 
But then they knew the last time they had heard, let's have a meal together, was the night when he was betrayed. And he laid out for them a meal. And he said, boys, this, bo- this bread is my body given for you. And this blood is the new covenant in my blood, and it's shed for you. My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. And like I said, 11 of those 12 men were martyred for that faith because they understood the Prince of Peace had come, and he brings real peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end, and of peace forever and ever. The angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen. Let's pray, and then I'll lead us into the Lord's Prayer, and we'll come to the table. Father, it sometimes feels too good to even be true. We feel like Henry Longfellow. There is no peace on earth. The hate is strong. It mocks the song. Lord, forgive us for our cynicism. Forgive us for our little faith. And I ask this morning that you would increase our faith that we would see the Prince of Peace bringing a highly disruptive kingdom to earth that will be one of peace forevermore. Lord, help us not to trust the things of this world, but to trust fully in the Prince himself. And now, Lord Christ, we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.